Uh, hey guys, uh, so uh, we've been thinking about things to do and, uh, you know, if we're going to add stuff, we're going to add stuff, so we might trade in and out with some new stuff. So uh, we're going to be talking about The Expanse. Someone, I <coughs> uh, won't mention names, deci decided to get up on, all up in our grill and tell us that we really need to uh, to watch The Expanse. We broke down and decided, sure, why not? Let's bring a rather new... Uh, sci-fi flick slash television show to the podcast. <clears throat> That's kind of a nice offset to uh, Stargate, which is, you know, a bit older. Yeah, uh, Stargate's, I won't say super old, but it's old enough comparatively to The Expanse, which is only seven years old, actually. Um, yeah, and it just it just recently ended, right? I, has it ended? Actually, I don't know that. I I don't think it has actually. It might just be in um, off season. I don't know. Uh, we'll find that out. That that answer. Uh, before out we later. get rolling too hard on this, I just have to say I got this ten dollar keyboard from Five Below, and it's like really nice. Yeah. It's, it. Uh, I I expected nothing, and I got uh, something pretty decent. So. What happened to your old keyboard? Uh the one I got over like I think summer 2020 uh it just like the keys were becoming unresponsive and like i thought i was buying uh like something boutique but it it's definitely just like i, I don't know if it's mass produced from china but it, it is from china uh, so. i mean what isn't that's cheap and uh, i wish i could tell you the brand but i don't i don't read chinese so <laughs> um, uh, it, it was all right it was a pretty good keyboard the, for a while or the clicks the clicks on this feel feel like there's better resistance on this keyboard this ten dollar keyboard than like the fifty dollar one i got but what's the sound the sound like i mean they're pretty silent put your microphone up to it and then start typing a little bit okay i don't care for no. it i don't uh, okay. throw it away it's worthless all right well i mean it was only ten dollars so everybody can probably already guess since they've probably heard me typing before Mine is very clickety-clacky. I, I like the typewriter style. It doesn't necessarily have to have the circular buttons, although I do have the circular buttons on mine. Which I thought might be a problem when it comes to gaming, but believe it or not, not so bad. There's a little bit of a problem for me, because I've got, like, long spider fingers. So I catch the edge of those keys a lot. I mean, I don't have long fingers, but they're certainly not short. And, uh, like, they're not stubby, they're... They're long enough. I, I don't seem to have a problem. I had a problem when I switched from a regular one to this one for the first week or so. Then I found the buttons and I'm, I'm back to normal. Nice. Probably be a little bit weird if I switched back. Um, although I use a regular one at work all the time. Yeah, it was a little bit hard to index. Uh, the ones at work, I, I don't hate either. They're like the real slim profile ones. They yeah. have like uh, the keys that are very easy to tap on, so that's good. But uh, that's enough about keyboards. Yeah, enough about keyboards. Let's talk about space. Although, you know, that might be a good thing to start talking about our favorite types of uh, computer and PC equipment. Ooh, that's another podcast. Jot that down. <laughs> <laughs> call Linus. We'll call it I Have a Huge Toner. <laughs> 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 TM. Uh, Nobody TM. can take that. That's trademarked. You can't use that, guys. You can't use that, everyone. <laughs> it's ours. We should do that at work. I work for 
I work for a company that does a lot of copier stuff. Um, that was the sole, what do you call it? That was their sole business model until they've decided to branch out into more IT managed services kinds of things. It sounds like uh, Saber from. Uh, well, no, that was uh, that office. was the office. The office yeah. branched out, or sorry, Dunder Mifflin branched out and got bought by Saber, which then did copier stuff. So I went from working for a office supply company to a copier company. So I'm sort of like taking the journey, aren't I? Yeah. For uh, <laughs> for that, but they should. I should have them do that. Make a pop. Make a podcast just about uh, you know copier stuff i don't know i don't know how that would be interesting at all riveting absolutely riveting stuff hey guess what this thing can do print out 128 pages in a minute two pages every second oh shit that's off that way it's actually really impressive when you stop think about it (laughs) yeah yeah it's not bad no yeah 120 pages in, in a minute in a minute that's two pages every second i could barely you know write two letters every second you know that old chestnut uh, so anyway let's um let's start off with a little little different uh tactic than what we're normally used to but what in your opinion is your opinion of the show that was a stupid um tautology but whatever uh i i'd say basing it just on this first episode What's your? First, uh, I guess yeah, it's better to say what's your first impression of the show, having not first... seen it before. Since we both are watching a show, we have never, we've either seen in passing or not seen at all. After watching the first episode, my first impression is that it's kind of a. It feels like a higher quality CW show, and like... I say that because uh, it feels really similar to uh the show from the cw called the 100 which mm. also has a lot of space themes um you'd like that one kev um i i think i've it, seen an episode or two it feels really Netflix. good but there are moments where it feels really cheap like um it's the pilot so clearly there are some things that they didn't want to spend all this money or time on um kind of same idea with um stargate but like definitely a higher budget to start with uh, yes uh, yes yeah uh, uh, they had some they of also writing... access to better quality cgi oh yeah i mean it's i mean it's like 20, 20 years, years later yeah, yeah it's 20 years into the future cgi exploded in the uh early 2000s and now the cgi it is. in the episode was really good uh, overall, yeah, there were a couple of yeah. points where I was like, um, like at the beginning of the episode with the flying spacesuit, I was like, yes. that spacesuit's too small. It doesn't look like it actually fits someone inside. Like you guys got the proportion way off. Other than that, right. uh, not you know, it was great. <clears throat> yeah, and, and there are just like expect. some moments in like the conversation and banter that's just like, okay, this was written by one person. It wasn't reviewed. They didn't make any changes to it. Okay. Oh yeah. Overall, my impression is positive. I'm intrigued yeah, by I the would show. Say positive for sure. I'm really intrigued by the show. I'm really interested to to take a little bit of a deep dive into it. I mean, by it's got one of my favorite episode, actors. 
I definitely wanted to watch the next one. So. Oh yeah, I'm definitely I think interested. It, it in definitely succeed in hooking me in. Yeah, yeah. And this was a this was like a spur of the moment thing. I'm like, just watch it. We're gonna do a podcast on it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode. There's it, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like Game of Thrones. If you would never watch Game of Thrones before, and you decided to watch the very first episode, and all of a sudden you're thrown, names are thrown at you, places are thrown at you, you have no idea about the world of Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms and Essos and all that jazz, you're like lost. So I kind of feel like that right now where I'm lost as to who is what. Yes. But I've sort of latched on to the important characters, the ones that se- were seemingly following their storylines. Um, right. For instance, Thomas Jane's character. First of all, shout out to Thomas Jane, who is a fantastic actor. And oh, yeah. like if um, John Bernthal hadn't done such a good job as the Punisher, I'd have totally taken Thomas Jane's Punisher back in a heartbeat. Oh, for sure. I would love to see him just show up in one of the multiverse episodes. It was a very different tone from the the Barenthal Punisher, but I I enjoyed that one a lot. Uh, The the original Punisher movie with John Travolta as the villain? (laughs) I think you mean the the second Punisher movie because the original was Dolph Lundgren. Nobody cares about that one. Nobody cares. But it is the original, so... No. Well, go blow yourself. Go watch Punisher Warzone. Oh uh, no! Thank God, no. Turn it off. No, uh, <laughs> no thank um, you. <laughs> but yeah, no. So uh, Thomas Jane's character, I believe, Stephen Strait's character, who is the, uh, I guess now he's the acting EXO as of the end of the first episode. Yeah. Or actually, I think he's acting captain now. Uh, spoiler alert! But I think he's acting captain now as of the end of that episode. I, yeah. I didn't really recognize a whole lot of actors. There um, are a, a whole bunch of like um, character actors who play side characters in a lot of stuff. So like, um, there's Brian George, uh, who is. Oh, I love Brian George. He yeah. he played my favorite. My favorite thing that he was in. This is gonna sound stupid, but Employee of the Month with Dane Cook. Yeah, he played. I mean, he, he he's really good as that like. A tertiary character who is just like around, you know. He played Dr. Kutherpali's uh father in mm-hmm. Big Bang Theory. Uh he did a really good job there. I was glad that we finally got got to see him in person because on the show at the beginning it's like all we see are Zoom or Skype calls of him. Probably Skype for the time because Zoom wasn't a thing before Skype, but somehow Zoom overshadowed Skype. Yeah, sure. Probably because Microsoft decided, hey, we're going to buy Skype and we're just going to turn it into Teams. Yeah. And nice. then don't forget uh, Jonathan Banks is in there, too. Jonathan Banks was another character or another actor I recognize. Everyone should know him from um, Breaking Bad mm-hmm. as, um, I forgot what his name is in that. He's like the, the hired gun. Man. Yeah, he's yeah. like the hired gun for Walter. Uh, Paulo Paulo Costanzo, I believe he was the doctor. His name in the show is is Shed Garvey. Yes. I've seen him in a bunch of different stuff before. I want to say the last thing that I saw him in was, what the hell was that show on USA? 
Ah, it's like house calls or something. I don't remember. Anyway, that was the last thing I saw him in. But I've seen yeah, him he's in, a bunch in of stuff. He's before. in Upload. Tells Upload. It's a, a Amazon Prime series. I don't watch a lot of Amazon Prime stuff, except for now The Expanse. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Shora Agadeshlu. Uh, she's. Yeah, sure. She looks like her. she has this really super deep voice. I think it's Shorey Agadashlu. Yes. I think, yeah, uh, I've much seen better her in me. a bunch of stuff before. She is in so much. Oh, she was Commodore Paris in Star Trek Beyond. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, she's all over the place. Man, she is. She's just got that voice. Yeah. Oh, she did the voice it's of Gozer in Afterlife. Ghostbusters very Afterlife. Very commanding. I did not know that. Uh, speaking of the Punisher, she was in the Punisher TV series. Yeah. As uh, Farah uh, Madani. She's in the Destiny 2 Lakshmi there, buddy. Too. Yeah. Lakshmi. Lakshmi 2. Nice. Grim. I love, I love Grim. Love oh, me some Grim. I'm in the middle of rewatching Grim, but let's let's save right. that for a different podcast. Yeah, no, that's a different that's a different thing altogether. Um, right. She's so, been in a lot of things going all the way back to 19. 19- 76 but yeah no she is she's fantastic fantastic actress and the character she plays is pretty darn good i was um you you don't see much of her in this first episode but what you see is like really impressive the five minutes that she's on screen were captivating and uh, i don't know if it was her it was probably a good portion of her mixed with the story that's going on at the time which we'll we'll get into but yeah, that's right. some of the those are some of the people that we recognize at least who've been in a bunch of different stuff. Honestly, and I thought Wes Wes Chatham looked a lot like I don't think he's in in it yet, but he looks a lot like uh, Michael C. Hall, Dexter, uh, with a beard. When when you're looking at him quick uh, with a beard, he kind of looks like him from the I'm side side profile at least. Let's get into the episode before we get too far into naming all of the other things right. that we enjoy to watch. If you don't mind, I'll go over the uh, like important places in the show. That, no, you go ahead. I had a hard time following. So, uh, uh, thankfully, unlike Game of Thrones, which is set in a fantasy world, this is set in the real world or uh, at a facsimile future version of it. Uh, so, there's... Uh, Earth, which you don't really see in this episode. Well, we There's, do. That's well, kind of. That's where Shore uh, yeah. is. Anyway, go. Uh, we see it during those like brief moments. Um, there's Mars. Uh, so their major powers are Earth and Mars. And then there is the the belt. So the asteroid belt. So the Cooper asteroid belt. Near Saturn. I have the prologue uh, pulled up. Would you like me to read it? And Sirius Station, which is a uh, ice mining location. Yes. But uh, go ahead and hit us with that synopsis. Well, this is the. I'll go with the synopsis and the prologue. There you go. So the prologue is what played before the beginning of the first episode. So here's the synopsis for the first episode. Um, in the asteroid belt near Saturn, James Holden and the crew of the ice freighter Canterbury investigate a distress call from a mysterious derelict ship, the Scopuli. On Cirrus Station, Detective Miller begins an off-the-books investigation of a missing heiress, Julie Mao. 
Mo. Mow. That's the synopsis for this episode. Uh, it seems so short, but the episode is so long. But at the same time, you realize it's, I mean, that's pretty I mean, much all that really yeah. happens in the episode. That's true. and But, like, it's, it's definitely how stuff happens is the important thing. For, I think there's uh, a lot of character development that they're trying to push in early so that they can keep it going with yep. the story, which works. It, it worked pretty well. So the prologue is, um, in the 23rd century, humans have colonized the solar system. The UN now controls the Earth. Mars is now its own independent military power. The inner planets depend on the resources of the asteroid belt. Belters live and work in space. In the belt, air and water are more precious than gold. For decades, tensions have been rising. Earth, Mars, and the belt are now on the brink of war. All it will take is a single spark. Dot, dot, dot. Ba, ba, ba. So, uh, essentially, Earth is now united under the UN. Mars is its own independent military power, separate from Earth, and the belt... I'm not really sure how it fits in just yet, other than the fact that both planets rely on the belt. So it's like the belt is the working class people, at least the, the what I got from yeah. the show. Well, it seems like there's definitely also unrest on the belt. Uh, it, you also hear some, uh, like... I'm guessing some slurs, because... Political speech in the beginning... Um, oh yes, someone yes. trying to tell the workers to like rise up and yes, the so the <laughs> um, the eat the rich as it were uh, kind of things going on. It seems that there was some there. I, I guess we'll call them slurs because that's what they were intended to be. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the the terminology was used, but Thomas Jane's character was like slurred at by a fellow belter yes uh because he's a traitor he, he basically works for earth to keep Cirrus station going he's basically the cop he's just a cop and the belters yeah. don't don't care for the cops for whatever reason well they definitely don't care for cops from earth they'd probably be more less like he's not from earth he's and a, against their he's own. a belter well yeah but he still represents earth yeah. But if it was like a police that was representing their station from them, they would probably yeah, be more kind to it. So, I mean, for the most part, it seems you can get that you got the tension underneath that everyone is unhappy. Uh, there are protests currently going on, but they're turning a little more aggressive because they're openly mocking police on Sirius Station. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's things are going a little a little haywire. So uh, let's start with... Now, th th this episode is actually called Dulcinea, uh, which is weird, wouldn't you think? A lot of episodes that are the pilot episodes are just called the pilot. This one actually had a name. Yeah. And the name that they chose kind of makes sense. But I'm not 100% on it. You know what Dulcinea is referring to, right? Not really. I didn't really think about it too hard. Uh, well, I looked it up because I'm that guy. And I'm always curious. Uh, so Dulcinea actually is ref a reference from Don Quixote. Uh, Dulcinea del Toboso. 
Uh, she's a fictional character who is like, <laughs> so I don't know how I'm going to say this. Do I say fiction squared? Because technically she doesn't exist inside of a fictional story. So, you know how Don Quixote is yeah. making shit up in his head all the time. Yeah. Well, Dulcinea is another one of those figments of his imagination. He is the perfect woman in his eyes. So, uh, usually Dulcinea is used as a word to imply an idealistic devotion and love for I don't think it has to be specifically female, but in this case, idealistic devotion and love for someone else. That's what it is. Because he basically made her up in his head. Yeah. And he, I kind of remember the the play when he sings to the barmaid who is like super pretty, Dulcinea. Whatever. Anyway, that's what this means. I believe it's in reference to Julie Mao uh, in the fact that she is lost and unseen. But I, I don't quite 100% get the reference. But I assume that's what they were going for. Yes? I can see yeah, that. Maybe. I can see it. And, a, and another thing is that this is not actually a te- just a television show. It's based on a book, I guess. Or a series of books. Okay. Uh, the first um, season is based... Uh, about 80% on the Leviathan Wakes uh, book. I don't know who writes the books. Let's find that out real quick. Leviathan Wakes. The author is James S.A. Corey. He didn't write them very far in, in advance. So James Corey is the writer, and um, I guess his first novel in the Expanse series is Leviathan Wakes. So the first season is very much based on that book, mostly. Okay. I think. I, I think. Yeah. I think what I like most about this show so far is that it brings in a lot of elements from a lot of different sci-fi series. I think it brings in some elements of Firefly, uh, specifically that there are some references to the fact that um, the Chinese and and U.S seem to have intermingled over the years and that now their cultures seem to have sort of merged together. There are some small references to that. It also feels like there's um, a bit of a Western Mexican standoff style tension going on. Well, in the the series <coughs> version scenes, especially, like, definitely feels... Western, you know, the places the workers live are kind of run down. Exactly. Um, you've got the sheriff running all over the place. And the fact that hat. they're considered the belters. Firefly made it a huge deal that the the union and then there was the brown coats, who were basically the outer rim planets. So the people who live on the outer rim of, of Expanse, but I also like the fact that it had that Star Wars feel. You know what I'm talking about, where it's like, it's not the idealistic version of space travel. It's the yeah. nitty-gritty version of space travel, where you're not just going to say, hit the warp, engage, and you're going to go like Star Trek. It's, we got to burn 
uh, the fuel to get moving, and, and it doesn't happen right away. And it at least feels like it's based on something real. And and the the fact that gravity really isn't a thing out in the belt. It's not normal gravity. It's yeah. And fake they talk and about how um, like uh, when they are on Earth, there's a scene where they have a belter strung up, and it looks like skin and bones because that's all they would be. You don't need all that muscle or bone density mm-hmm. when you're living in uh, gravity. It's like one tenth of Earth's gravity. Yeah, you're gonna end up stretching out because your body's just gonna keep growing up to whatever size it came until gravity takes hold and you don't need to grow anymore. And your density doesn't need to be nearly as much because, like, what the hell are you? You're not dealing with regular gravity or th- requiring you to carry no anything. structure your muscles need to attach to. Exactly. So it's it's quite interesting that they brought in all of this stuff. There's also the there's elements from Babylon Five too, which I fucking love that show. <laughs> so in Babylon Babylon Five, they have the Earth Alliance, which is basically Earth and um, Membar, and then uh, they have the other planet, and then they. They have some other, other you know, planets mixed in, but the Earth Alliance is basically its own thing. Basically, the UN, uh, Mars is sort of sort of its own power at that point in Babylon Five too. And the fact that Sirius Station kind of looks like that little section of um, what do you call it? That small section of stores and stuff that we saw uh, in the protest uh, part of the episode. That yeah. looks almost identical to Babylon 5's marketplace. Like you could have, they like basically stole Babylon 5 set and put it there and dressed it up a little differently. I mean, it, for all we know, that's like reused parts of that exact set. I know. Like, it's like, I'm going to put a side by side photo on our Twitter and you guys can decide for yourself. I, I It feels really similar to me. Uh, that's what I love about the show so far, and that's why I'm so intrigued because of how similar it is to a lot of other science fiction uh, that I already like. So, who doesn't love it when it's redone? Now I suppose we should actually get into a little bit of a recap of the episode, <laughs> <laughs> since we've really gone over a, quite quite a lot of information here. So we start the episode off with this woman. She's just sort of floating in space, in zero gravity, presumably on a ship. I say presumably on a ship, not because she's in space, or she could be in space, but because she could be on a space station for all the fuck we know. We have no idea what she's on, but she's in some sort of enclosed space, either a ship or a space station. We don't know yet. <coughs> we see that she's sort of stuck in this room. Um, she ends up, they end up doing a little dance with the water in space just to show off their CGI. And I was sitting there thinking to myself while they were doing that. I'm like, don't blow the budget, guys. You're only a sci-fi television show. I'm gonna blow the budget in 30 seconds of, of water floating in the air and her hair going crazy. <laughs> By the end of the season, it's gonna be a, a popsicle stick floating across the screen. With it's, like, whoosh it's like with that mouth. picture of the horse that's been drawn by four different people and each of them had a different budget for how long they could take. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so she she has 
floating in space, got the water in front of her, and she ends up drinking what's left of that water supply that she has. Uh, and she manages to sneak out of the room, uh, puts a spacesuit on, and um, puts on some magnetic boots, which were cool. Kind of looked like the yeah. Nike shoes from Back to the Future. You see those a couple times during the episode? Yeah. So they get, they're obviously a very popular design. Anyway, she explores the space station that she's in. Uh, ends up running into a floating spacesuit like I was talking about earlier. Nobody's inside of it. She runs into an airlock door with blood all over it and an SOS signal coming from the engineering bay. So she ends up, I think she ends up just going outside, and that's sort of where we leave it. Um, it's very intriguing for a beginning of the episode, kind yeah. of like cold open, but uh, there's not a whole lot of meat there, if you know what I mean. It's definitely setting the stage for uh, to keep you hooked to see what the mystery is. Yeah, clearly there's a mystery going on, and they don't have a Scooby-Doo available to them at this point in time. Or Velma. Oh, Velma. Oh, Velma. Apparently they're, they're doing a Velma-centric show. Hell yeah. Uh, specifically aimed at adults, and the Velma is going to be um, voiced by Mindy Kaling. Ah. Uh ruined what's wrong with mindy kaling i just find that your i feel like her characters are, are just meant to be a little annoying and it works well think about the first five six episodes she was in of the office and how mm -hmm. reserved she was and then by yeah. season two she was just like full-blown annoying yeah and i mean she's a great writer but i don't know <laughs> her show is alright I didn't mind the show the Mindy Kaling show the Mindy Kaling project yeah, yeah. that was alright <laughs> that's funny cut to Sirius Station an asteroid's been transformed in the most vital port in the belt uh, as we learn from an angry preacher um, Sirius was once covered in ice Mars and Earth have apparently mined it dry and this preacher is railing against the slave-like work conditions that the belters who work on the docks go through. And living in this world where air and water are rationed to the point of insanity. Uh, and he, he warns of the tension between Mar Mars and Earth and Ceres is going to end up being the one that pays the price, according to him. And that's where we meet uh, Joe Miller, or Thomas Jane's character, in this case his detective hat-wearing detective, I should say. I don't know if the, the hat works for him specifically. I kind of like it, but I don't. That was one of the elements that I thought kind of made it a little hokey. <laughs> I mean, hokey is not the word I would have gone with, but I get where you're going with it. I yeah. think it's... I think the fact that his face is so long, that hat doesn't really work. It really makes the hat small. Yeah. So it feels like it's it's shouldn't be there. You should have an Indiana Jones hat or something. Yeah, but doesn't a proper fedora. But that doesn't work either. I mean, it's. I think it's there as a, a funny thing because, you know, why the hell are you wearing a hat on a station where it doesn't rain? And there's no real sun. And there's no real sun, yeah. Good point. I didn't think about that. I guess he works for... It's called Star Helix Security. 
uh, and the preacher ends up calling him a Wellwalla, which I guess is a person obsessed with the gravity well of the inner planet's culture, or traitor. I looked that up. Straight from the, um, straight from the Expanse wiki. I get it. Basically, he's a traitor to his people. That's what the preacher was going for. So he's, he's showing the ropes to a new recruit, uh, Dimitri, who is played by... Come on, what's his name? Uh, Jay Hernandez. Dimitri Havelock. Ooh, Hemlock. Havelock. Something or Missed other. opportunity. Oh, whatever. Miller comforts a prostitute, Gia, who's John, a belter gangster named Bomi Chatterjee. I feel like some of these names are just insane, and they're not necessary. When you get into space stuff, everybody's got to have, like, a crazy name. Yeah, so, um, has just been killed by an, un, uh, so the Bomi Chatterjee has just been killed by un, unidentified assailants. Uh, Havelock notices how builders have long, thin limbs and fingers. Um, and this is what we were talking about, how the results, uh, of what happens to our bodies when we live in low gravity or outside of earth's normal gravity what our bodies would look like which is a bit weird when you think about it Mm -hmm. miller points out some things about the belters you end up finding out that he is also a belter and his spine fused weird because of some sort of cheap bone density juice which i find interesting so I mean, I, I I find that kind of stuff re- really interesting as well. The, like, kind of snake oil that you would see out of, like, space stuff. Because, like, uh, I play, you know, Fallout, uh, Outer Planets, uh, stuff like that that has, like, that kind of comedy edge to it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't call it snake oil per se because it's supposed to do something. Well, I suppose it did do something. It's just not doing it correctly. So it's just shitty. It's like a shitty generic version of a of Viagra. It it gotcha it gotcha halfway, but you couldn't quite it got finish something the, hard. Yeah, you couldn't quite finish the deal. And that something was his spine. So that's <laughs> sort of where they so that's where they're putting Miller. So that's sort of his character development at this point. Is he's a belter but he works for Star Helix Security, and he's considered by his own people to be a traitor. In and of itself, that whole that whole sequence of events only takes about five minutes, and we've learned quite a bit about what what's going on with Miller. Mm-hmm. And um, the other it's detective quite a bit is going on with those characters as well as like their general attitude on that station. I know, and we're only like. 10 minutes into the episode and we're already figuring out the shit. So it's like throwing a lot at you at once and it isn't until that you've actually sat down and thought about it what you're getting from it. So anyway, at Star Helix headquarters, uh, the captain gives Miller his new assignment which is to find Julie Mao. Um, the daughter of Ariadne and Jules Pierre Mao of the Mao Kwiatkowski Kwiatkowski mercantile. Uh, so she's a little rich heiress. Julie defied her parents by becoming a member of a student protest movement known as the Far Horizons Foundation and the champion pilot of a racing ship known as the Racerback. So yeah, basically, that uh, name doesn't sound sinister at all. <laughs> uh, Razorface. The t- Far Horizons. So she also happens to be the woman we find out later 
was the one that we saw at the beginning of the episode. She was the one in the magnetic boots trying to escape. Miller ends up doing a bunch of uh, back work to find out um, what's going on with uh, Mao. Uh, but he also finds out that apparently uh, kids develop a cough in the uh, serious station sections that have a poor filtration system for the air. And he sort of, uh, he I guess he threatens somebody, right? Yeah, he um, he threatens uh, one of the maintenance guys who are supposed to be monitoring the quality think, of the filter. I filters. think technically he's like a landlord on the station. That's what I got the impression of. I'm not 100% uh, well, on that. What I got from it is he's, he's responsible for, for things like that. Like the quality of the filter, the filter's being replaced on time. Okay, so here's I, I'm pulling it up, pulling up his profile in uh, the Expanse Wiki to get a better idea of what he what he is. Uh, Vargas is responsible <coughs> for air filters in the poor part of Sarah Station, but since he bribes the cops' bosses at Star Helix, security usually turns a blind eye. He pockets the money. Many and many children end up sick, and Miller shares this with Havelock, but is reluctant to change anything. Don't try to save the entire station on your first day. Blah, blah, blah. All that. So yeah, he is the one who is responsible, but it seems like he gets paid some sort of stipend to to maintain his part of the ship. And instead right. of actually using that money for good, he ends up pocketing it and then bribing the cops to not say anything to him. So he's kind of a dickhead. Kind of back. a dickhead. <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't live there too, because why would you? Yeah, not filter your own air. Yeah. So then we get to meet um, Christian Christian Avasarala, the UN Deputy Undersecretary, uh, which is played by um, Shorey. Uh, I'm so sorry. I lost I lost her name, so I don't I can't tell you off the top of my head. Uh, Shorey Agdashlu. Agdashlu. Yes, Agdashlu. So she's the deputy undersecretary for the UN, um, who's taken from a day with her uh, grandson and husband to a UN black site, where we see them interrogating a uh, courier for Mars, who happens to be a belter. It seems so... I, I love this part... Because this woman is a badass. Like, she's straight out of the book, badass. She walks right up to him. She sort of threatens him but with a smirk on her face. And says, it's not real good for you, the belters in normal Earth gravity. And you can see this guy is sweating. He's being hung up by his shoulders, essentially. Basically being crushed to death. Like, he's in normal gravity now, so he obviously can't breathe as easily. So he's breathing as if he were a 600-pound man trying to go up a couple of stairs. He's, almost... he's probably actually struggling with how much oxygen is available, because there'd be way more than what his body is used to. I That's probably why he doesn't keel over, actually, because he's getting less oxygen than he normally would. Or he's getting less air in his lungs than he normally would because he's having trouble pulling it all in because his diaphragm can't handle the gravity. Yeah, probably that. 
but he's probably getting more potent oxygen, so it doesn't really matter too much. It's probably what's keeping him from going and keeling over. Although living in, in a poor air filtration kind of place, he probably has built the uh, has the ability in his... He's probably adapted to the, that, that fact to get very little air so that he wouldn't have to worry about it so hard. But you can tell he's he's being tortured because he can't lift his arms. They don't even have him strapped down, it doesn't look like. No. He's he's like um arms are draped over some like uh hooks coming out of the wall. Yeah, they look like giant hooks that you can basically put both armpits on top of. He can't lift his arms because he basically can't exist in this heavy gravity. Yeah. And he's like totally limp. And he's like He's laid out like a fur rug, like a bear rug or something like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like that's the that's the he's like a skin suit that's been laid out on the wall for me to wear tomorrow. And he is just sweaty and gross. And you could tell by the way he talks, he can barely get the words out because it's difficult to push the air out. So, it's it's pretty badass what she's doing. Um, I mean, not so much when you think about it, but the way she does it is badass. Like, you can tell she's no one to be fucked with. And that's what I kind of like. So that's how we meet her. And from that, like, 30-second interaction, we get an idea of who she is and what kind of badassery we are to look forward to in the next couple of episodes. And then we get to learn a little bit more about Ice Trawlers from the Canterbury crew. So we skip over to the Canterbury crew who are loading up gigantic freaking pieces of ice. Was that not like the most dangerous thing you've ever seen? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like here they are, here they are. They're breaking up pieces of ice to basically grab. I'm not really sure a hundred percent on what they're doing with it. I assume a lot of it is for drinking water, potable water. Yeah, it, it's being shipped out to uh, places like Mars, Earth, and Mars, and all that. Mm-hmm. And I assume that if there are other things like methane or any sort of gases or something, they're probably using, utilizing, or grabbing that. There might be frozen methane or something in there too. I don't really know. Well, it can also be semi. Uh, transforms into like breathable air. True. Like oxygen. We're not 100% certain on what they're doing specifically with the ice, but they're doing something that is trying to keep people alive with it. Yeah. Essentially what's going on. So what's happening is uh, the Canterbury is doing this ice loading, uh, and they end up running into or end up catching a distress call from a ship. Um, that's way out on the outer rim. Uh, and they're the only one within 3 million clicks. Not 100% certain what, the, what a click is. Do you know what a click is? Uh, kilometer, maybe? Mile or kilometer? Oh, you're dead on, man. A click yeah. references for kilometer. So they're 3 million miles away. I know that doesn't... For a spaceship, it doesn't sound like much, but let's... Or three... Sorry. Three million kilometers away. Three million... That's a lot. 
kilometers in miles is 1,864,113, give or take, miles. Hot. 3 million kilometers in light years. That's cool. Whoa. Crazy. Kevin's amazed. I'm amazed. Yeah, no, it's, it's not very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to come up with something to... Uh, how just how, how many kilometers is a football field? Uh, less than one. Because so it's a hundred yards. A hundred yards is basically a hundred yards is probably close to like ninety meters or something like that. Okay. So, so it's not that's not helpful. <laughs> it, so it's more than three million football fields away. Oh my god. What? A no, a kilometer is a thousand meters. Yeah. And a football field is ninety meters, which would make it Okay. I think you're just bad at math, man. I I, I don't well, know I, what I'm an, I'm an artist, not a <sighs> mathematician. I don't know what two million miles is, but it's a fucking lot. It takes about eight hours to get to <laughs> a major city from uh, where we are. So the the so, moon the moon itself is two hundred and forty thousand miles give or take. Okay. And, and they have to travel 1.9 give or take million miles. So they are fucking forever away is, is the professional <laughs> yeah. term. They're there fucking forever away. So they have uh -huh. a long way to go. Anyway, back to where we are. They get a distress signal. They're the closest ship. According to the... I, I don't know if they work for the, a company... I assume they work for a company or they work for the government. Because so they're under contract with something. Yeah, so they because they mentioned that as part of their duties is they have to go and investigate in the event that they catch something. Uh, because, and I guess Captain McDowell thinks that it's probably not a good idea because he thinks that there are pirates or somebody like staging something for them to get trapped and then they'll steal their supplies and shit. Because they're not worried about stealing money or gold. They're worried about stealing water and air and basically the ship and then killing all of them because what the hell do the pirates care? So Captain McDowell ends up purging the message completely as if they never received it. Um, but the second officer, James Holden, uh, decides to do a little bit of investigating. Uh, and he investigates the whole what's going on, and he hears the whole please help me message from the woman's yeah. voice. So, and he plays it cool. He's like, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. So, they end up going to investigate the ship. And they get on the ship. And what's interesting about... The ship looks almost exactly like the other one, right? The Canterbury? Scopuli looks uh, a little like the Canterbury, right? It's the same aesthetic. Yeah. It it's definitely a different type of ship, but it's it's yeah. a similar aesthetic. It's probably a similar ship to what they do, like an ice trawler or something. They go to find out what the hell is happening with this ship. They end up uh sending a whole bunch of people over on a little uh little tiny little um egg pod type shuttle which i thought was uh cool but at the same time super cute 
Yeah, it's just this tiny little egg pod thing that they that like five or six people travel over in. And so they look for survivors as best they can, and um, they're attempting to find out what happened. Well, in the midst of their investigating, I guess a, a ship appears out of nowhere using some sort of stealth technology. The Canterbury says, get the hell out of there, grab what you can, get the fuck out. So they get in the shuttle, and then they start heading back to the Canterbury, and they're like, we're not going to make it to you. You've got to start uh, coming towards us so that we can get out of here quick. And this mysterious ship ends up firing on them. What they think is they're firing on the shuttle, but they end up zooming right past the shuttle and then going straight to the Canterbury, and then the Canterbury ends up exploding. Yeah. And I believe Maybe. that was the end of that episode, basically. Yeah, they they said that they nuked that ship, so... Yeah, so essentially, um, the Canterbury's been destroyed. Uh, Holden and the and his um, team are basically trapped in a shuttle, far from anyone, except for presumably an enemy ship from Mars, who is either a... Well, it's either a pirate ship or a, or a Mars military ship of some sort. I think that they said something about a, that technology not being... Like pirates on the Canterbury. They said that that technology is unknown because stealth technology isn't like that. So they assume that it's Mars coming up with something brand new. But for all the fuck we know, it could be some brand new alien species they've never come into contact with because they are on the outer rim of the asteroid right. belt. Yeah. So it's super. It, it's like super engaging for what what's going to happen next. And I really like that about this episode. I mean, overall, this was a great episode. This seems like it's going to be a really good series. It's got yeah. everything we want. Um, I mean, it's all the spaciness I need. It's all the spaciness I need. And it's like, <laughs> I want to say down to earth, but I feel like that's a bad pun for some reason. <laughs> uh, it's a it's... very down to earth, real spacefaring show. It feels like it's it's at least something that's plausible. It's got real chops, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's got real chops, so uh, I think we're going to enjoy this. I think we're going to make this a thing uh, for yeah. the expanse. Yeah, I'm invested. I'm invested, too. So catch us again on another episode there, guys, for uh, The Expanse. We will uh, tell you on Twitter and Facebook when that's going to be. Uh, also keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook for when we're going to drop Fanspiracy Theories and uh, Comic Book Fridays. And possibly the occasional Stargate episode, but it seems like we're switching over to The Expanse at this moment in time. So, Yeah, maybe we'll do like a, a bunch of episodes in a row and then we'll bounce back. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's the whims of what we desire. Alrighty. <laughs> Alright, that's it from us. We wish you seven days to Rock and Stone, Guardians. Rock and Zone, Guardians. Later. Bye-bye.